Standby. Hello, this is Penn Jillette. The possibility exists that if I were to actually listen to the lackadaisical Librocubicularist podcast featuring host Jordan Maywood, I would potentially enjoy it. A ringing endorsement. Potentially enjoy this episode, which will start after the other half of my magical comedy duo, Teller, gives us a countdown. Take it away, Teller. Hello, welcome to the LibroCube. Uh, my name is Jordan Maywood, and I am the Lackadaisical LibroCube Realist. Today, my friends, is Movie Monday, part two of a Movie Monday, which I've never done. Two-parter Movie Monday, but this is part two of the part two. Yeah. Something I say at the top of every show is a spoiler warning, which I'm going to say right now. Spoiler warning. There you go. That should cover my ass. Like, so very, very much underwear. Because I will spoil things. And that is a guarantee. Things will be spoiled. And another thing I like to say at the top of every show is that if you like what you hear, the only payment I ask is a million dollars. <laughs> no, that is ridiculous. The only payment I ask is perhaps you pass the podcast on to a friend, perhaps you rate, subscribe, and comment within iTunes, as that is what helps podcasts grow larger, grow larger. That said, will of course take us into our last piece of podcast-related business, which is today's sponsor, which is Philosopher Stone Nudicles. Once again, today's sponsor is Philosopher Stone Nudicles. Thank you to those for sponsoring. This is so very nice of you. This came up in the first Harry Potter and the Deathly podcast, episode one, that uh, it's kind of hard to remember these movies when you watch them, with the exception of the very last one, back to back to back in the matter of five days. And that was like a week ago as well. So, potentially, my memory of these movies is muddled. I got a muddled memory, if you will. So, uh, you know, keep that in mind. Uh, moving on to movie the fifth in this eight-part movie series called Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Ooh, Phoenix. I wish the Phoenix in question was uh, Jean Grey from uh, X-Men. That would have been cool got her into this somehow, but no, it is the phoenix like the legendary creature, the phoenix. Mm. This one uh, has quite a lot revolving around the Ministry of Magic, and as I always say, nothing like getting a little uh, government and bureaucracy in your fantasy novels. That's how it really gets exciting. Oi! <laughs> that is not true. They, they, they do a fine job of it, but... Uh, government-related stuff, whenever there's sort of a political intrigue in fantasy, which is not unusual, I always find the potential of skipping those sections is high, so, uh, you know, I'll, I'll take marks off for delving into that. Maybe it's interesting to some people, but to me, not so much. The Ministry is in denial, 
and that ain't just a river in Egypt. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, about the return of Voldemort. They, uh, they're, they're sort of unbelieving, despite all evidence, that he is back. So they're sort of treating Harry Potter, who says he is back, as a bit of a pariah, trying to discredit him in various ways, even going so far as to putting him on trial to try to get him in serious trouble. Further politicalness comes in the fact that this Ministry of Magic has assigned uh, a woman by the name of Dolores, which we all know what that rhymes with, right? Oh, yeah. Seinfeld. Yeah. Assigned her to uh, Hogwarts school to make sure that the school is up to the ministry's very, very low standards in schooling. She is, uh, as far as, I guess we'll just say, quote-unquote, bad guys within the Harry Potter series, she's probably the easiest to actually hate, which is, like, more than Voldemort, even. Voldemort, sure, he, he, he's like, bad to the point where he's killing people and wants to take over the world and stuff like that. Yeah, I get that. This girl is just a fucking bitch. Oh man, I really hate her. She's uh, eventually, I guess you would say, trying to and for the most part succeeds in taking over the school and uh, her rules are numerous and she sort of develops an entire ever-growing wall to nailing up her uh, various new rules. This one movie, that is, gets a lot into prophecy, which is another sort of fantasy staple. The prophecy, the chosen one, things things of that nature. Meh, kind of been done a million times. So One, I guess, sort of interesting thing that I can't recall ever being done is that the prophecies are like stored in these glass, uh, liquid-filled kind of vials, all stored in this giant magically giant warehouse. Uh, that was kind of cool. I've never seen anything like that before. Uh, it was a very, as far as magical battles go in the Harry Potter series, there's not a huge, huge amount of them, but the one that took place in this sort of prophecy warehouse... Prophecy warehouse! Come on down! Anyways, uh, the battle that took place there was pretty cool, so I'll give them that so cool as to even have one of the evil characters in the form of Bellatrix. Oh, what's the girl who plays her? Uh, Helena Bottom Carter. Weird to see her not in a, in a the hell is his name now? <laughs> Tim Burton movie. Uh, she's good. Uh, she's usually always good though, so that comes to no surprise. And she was good at being bad in this, which, uh, yeah, I suppose we've seen her be bad before. Wasn't she the queen in, uh, Alice in Wonderland. I, I never saw that one, though. Anyways, she kills one of the main characters. Bit of a spoiler there. Cyrus Black, specifically. Which uh, seems unwise. Just for the reason that if you know the good guy that you are battling, in this case, of course, Harry Potter, is very attached to someone, do not kill that someone for the reason that they will then be super, super pissed off and then want to kill you and then, you know, this movie is called Harry Potter, so he's probably going to win. There's a, a good uh, magical duel as well between Dumbledore and Voldemort. Dumbledore and Voldemort. So uh, that, that was good to see as well, just because it's sort of pitting the presumably the most powerful good and bad sorcerers in this series together. And uh, it's going to have some sparks fly, literally. And then, uh, you know, the movie ends. The end. 
Okay, so uh, next movie is Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Mmm, racism. This actually does kind of introduce a fair bit of... It's obviously racism masked in the form of being racist against uh, wizards and wizardettes whose parents are not magical, or as they say in the series, muggles. So in this book, we are introduced to a new potions teacher who's a little bit uh, muddled, let's say. Onset of Alzheimer's, we would probably categorize him if this were, you know, not a fantasy novel. Anyways, he is there because Harry's got to sort of pull past, pull the past out of his muddled brain. Yeah, I suppose that's a good way to say it. As good a way as anyway. Well... There's probably much better ways. Anyways, let's not talk about how good a way that was. Let's move into, uh, in this potion class, they're sort of picking textbooks. I actually like that scene because it's, they open a drawer full of textbooks, uh, Harry and Ron does, anyways, in order to grab one. And there's one sort of brand new, pristine-looking one, and then there's one beat-to-shit one. So they have a little fight over that. And, and I think I recall doing something similar, so... It gave me a little tickle. Harry lost that fight, which it's good to see your main character not win every single battle. Uh, however, in the end, he did win because this thing was so beat up. Uh, it had sort of notes written on every page, things scratched out and written in. And it turns out whoever had done this had much improved upon the actual text book because the textbook was not uh, very accurate in some cases, and all of his potions came out to perfection, whereas others would sort of fail, despite the fact they were following the textbook recipes. Textbooks! That is something I do not miss. <laughs> that just reminds me, actually. I used to do this thing, and this will perhaps emphasize, be a good illustration as to the sort of uh, student I was and my complete lack of homework was that uh, I would leave all my books for each class and sort of hide them within that class. So I never had to carry books around. I would just go to the class, go to my secret hiding spot, grab my books, and they would all be there. Yep, that is what I did. Uh, this book sort of introduces the first uh, brewing of a romantic relationship between Harry Potter and Ginny Weasley. So, you know. They're getting into their teen years. I suppose that's bound to happen. They're spending Xmas. I wrote Xmas. Because I call it Xmas. I don't call it Christ Mass. I call it Xmas. It's spent at the Weasleys. So you get to see a little of the old magical holiday spirit there. Sure, sure. This Xmas is interrupted by the bad guys. Yeah. Who come in and basically blow the shit out of the Weasleys' house in the hopes of killing Harry Potter, presumably. Uh, during this same time, we're sort of introduced to the fact that perhaps Hermione and Ron are also developing a little relationship there as well, which uh, is kind of interesting just because, spoiler, they do end up together. Uh -huh. And uh, I just heard, like, I guess it was maybe a couple of weeks ago, that J.K. Rowling thinks it was not a good idea to have Ron and Hermione hook up. He thinks, rather, it would have made more sense to have Harry Potter and Hermione uh, hook up. So that's kind of interesting that she regrets her decision, despite the fact that I think people liked that sort of ginger-haired 
I don't want to say underdog, but, you know, I couldn't say it. Underdog got the girl in the end. The best girl, let's just say. Let's just say it. I did. This one, through that uh, potions teacher I mentioned, has quite a few flashbacks into Tom Riddle's past. Tom Riddle, if you are unfamiliar, ended up turning into Voldemort. Mm. So we got to see some of his sort of early life and how he developed into the evil dude that he is. And uh, I like that. I like a backstory of super, super bad guys. It's usually pretty cool, and uh, this was no exception. This leads us to basically what the rest of the movies are about when you really boil it down, and that is uh, Voldemort has broken up his uh, soul, let's call it, into seven different items. Uh, I wrote seven and then a question mark because I couldn't remember if it was actually eight, but I think it was seven. So that means even if he is killed, there are still portions of his soul in these seven other items that can bring him back to life. So there's no point uh, going against him if you can not kill him, right? Right. So uh, that's the setup for the, the final two movies, the Deathly Hallows ones, in which these items uh, that have Voldemort's souls in them have to be sought out and destroyed. They are called Horcruxes. Uh, one thing I meant to do, and did not do, is to look up the word Horcrux. Because uh, is, is that something that the Harry Potter series just made up? Or something that uh, is from sort of fantasy lore already? Uh, there's something similar to that. It was in a video game. I think it was a Dragon Age game in which they had something called the... I might get this wrong, phylactery, or something like that. And it was sort of that same idea, I think. This movie ends with a quite surprising ending that I'm going to give away right now, and that is Snape, who you assume is bad, and then you sort of know is actually good, and then he kills Dumbledore, huh? And then you uh, assume he's bad again. So uh, I like the little jumping back and forth in your assumptions of his character. And uh, a little surprising, although despite the fact that over the years I had done pretty well at uh, avoiding spoilers when it comes to Harry Potter, and, and uh, I did know that Dumbledore dies. Like, uh, it's, it's almost even not reading the books or watching the movies. It's something that had seeped into my brain, so... And it didn't ruin the experience for me, so that's why I think uh, I do give a spoiler warning, but knowing that he dies, I don't think would ruin the film for you. Not going to, just on that note, not really going to give ratings for these, because I gave, in the first part, my sort of overall thought of ratings. So, that's a little tease. If you didn't listen to Harry Potter and the Deathly Podcast Part 1, now you can uh, go back and listen to it. Although it'd be kind of weird if you listen to this one and not the first one. But whatever. I like weird people. And if that is what you've done, I like you. What else I like is that, uh, well, we're halfway done. That's uh, something. I'm almost at work. So rather than start in on the final two movies, The Deathly Hallows Part uh, and Duh, uh, I'll end it here for now. I'll go into work, I'll do eight hours of work, 
and then uh, we'll meet back here for the rest of our talk. Do you love it? Presumably you said yes right there, because I love your dearies. I'm a fool to do your dirty working, working, working. And we're back. We are back. We are back. We are back. We are back. 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 We are back. Back in action. Hello again. Well, that was a work day in which all but me and the boss was not there. So, how about them apples? Thus concludes Jordan's work talk. Pretty exciting, I know. Let's move in to the second to last Harry Potter movie, Harry Potter and the Deathly Howls. Howl, Hallows, number one. Because, for some reason, this and you know what I actually don't know, were the books, the final two books, broken up into two parts? Or was it just a really long book that turned into two movies? I don't know. I don't know. I think if you are an adult, like myself, and like a a little darkness in your movies, a little not-for-kids, perhaps, movie style, uh, you're going to like these last two ones. So on my rating of Harry Potter movies, I, I put these definitely near the top, just for that reason alone. So, as I mentioned this morning, for you it was seconds ago, that uh, the previous movie sort of set it up for these two movies to basically, if you're going to boil down the story, which is what we do on the podcast for the most part, is uh, Harry, Hermione, and Ron Weasley on a quest, and I love a good quest, to find the however many Horcruxes and destroy them so that they can take on Voldemort himself and he will no longer be invulnerable, immortal, or whatever you want to call it, called. Plan? Yes. So the movie starts out with a sort of uh, underground movement, uh, rebellion, if you will, keeping Harry Potter safe. Has a little... uh, and Frank type feel to it, to be honest, which uh, takes me into my next note here, which is Muggle-born Wizard Holocaust. So, very, very... Uh, I think I might even go strange to think that a lot of the ideas in this can and do have their parallels when it comes to Nazis. So, <laughs> I don't know, but I'm sure someone's made this comparison before, and I'm not the first. If I am the first... I'm perhaps insane. Well, we know I'm insane, too, so... I don't know, I don't know. Let let me just say it, and that is that Voldemort and Hitler have a lot in common. Yes. I've compared Voldemort to Hitler. Oh, boy. (laughs) This, uh... If you're a regular listener to the podcast, you might notice that quite often I will put uh, verses in the title of my podcast. Like, in this case, it would be uh, Hitler versus Voldemort. I already have a podcast title for this one, so it's not going to happen this time. But still, yeah, but still. If I didn't already have a title, that one sort of jumped out at me. Voldemort's idea of having a sort of uh, clean race as far as wizards and muggles are not allowed to even have a part of it, That's that whole sort of thing. So Harry, Ron, and Hermione do have one of these horcruxes in the form of a locket. Uh, Replace locket with ring, and you've got Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. 
stolen, uh, let's use the word borrowed from Lord of the Rings, in that the the wearer of the locket will slowly be corrupted. Uh, this happens to Harry and Hermione, but mostly to Ron, who eventually sort of loses his shit and is corrupted to the point where he leaves. <laughs> that, I, I don't know if it was just me. This is another. I don't know if it's just me or I'm crazy. But it, it kind of had the feel of that point where Harry, yeah, he's up, upset that Ron's leaving. He's his friend, right? He doesn't want to see his friend leave. He needs his help on this quest to find and destroy Horcruxes. On the other hand, he kind of didn't feel like he was super, super upset as far as now being alone with Hermione and maybe moving in on Ron's turf a little bit, a little bit. And again, call me crazy, but uh, I got that vibe a little bit. There's a sword, 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 sword or sword, whichever you prefer. There's one in a little pond, which is obviously a la Excalibur and the sword in the lake. Replace lake with pond, so again, we'll just say borrowed. Uh, this sword is apparently the only thing, or one of the only things, that can destroy Horcruxes, so they need it, and need it badly. Uh, in this movie, as the title indicates, we learn what the Deathly Hallows is, and the sort of story behind it. Uh, kind of did an actually cool thing, and I think smart from the movie maker's point of view, in that if you were reading the book, it would just be sort of a, a little backstory, a sort of story within a story part. And uh, they, rather than just someone sitting and talking and telling this story, they sort of narrated over top of animation, uh, sort of shadow puppet-like animation, kind of, sort of, kind of, sort of. It's very, very well done, which is why I mentioned it here. It deserves, uh, deserves some props, and it's kind of a cool little short story within this movie that could kind of uh, stand alone as a sort of a myth told on its own, if you will. A story involving death, as in the anthropomorphic personification of death, I suppose, a la the Discworld and Terry Pratchett, again, I suppose, uh, involving a wand, a invisibility cloak, and a... I wrote wand, cloak, and stoke. What the hell is a stoke? Stone. <laughs> Sometimes I can't read my own writing. That was one of those examples of those times. Uh, yeah, I guess, was that the, the resurrection stone or some sort of stone? Whatever, I don't know. And uh, basically, the story is, if Voldemort gets his hand on these three items, he will be unstoppable forever and ever. So, you know, probably don't let him get those things. He has, I think it's at the end of this, gets his hand on the wand, which is like the most powerful wand in all of wand creation. The master wand, if you will. Yeah, so basically, that ain't good. One thing uh, I always kind of find strange of wands within the Harry Potter universe is like, for example, this wand. Super, super powerful wand. We've had other wands, they're all, you know, powerful, they can do magic, you need them to do magic, and yet, if you so desire, you just take them in your hands and bend them and they can break. Would you not 
have spells put on your wand so they are difficult or even impossible to break. Use another wand to put a spell on your wand to have it be unbreakable. Something like that. Come on. Come on. Or perhaps, uh, here's an idea, cover it in like a graphite or titanium or something like that. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you could probably get away with just touching the end of it and then magic comes out the tip. So have just the tip, <laughs> just the tip, not covered. And then the end you hold, not covered either. What do you think of that for an idea? Or there's uh, like magics that you say abracadabra or whatever, and then it shoots the wand out of your opponent's hand. Why not have something set up so it's like a glove made out of titanium with this wand inside it, so uh, even if it's shot out of your hand, the glove is still on your hand, so it doesn't really shoot off. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Many, many ideas around this wand and things I have. Oh boy. Okay, yeah, so that's the end of that movie. <laughs> it ended with, with me talking of wands. That's what happened. Oh boy. Harry Potter and the Deathly Howls number two. This one I, uh, I just watched, so it's probably a little fresher in my mind. I think I mentioned in the first podcast that I borrowed these from my sister-in-law. This one was the only one that was Blu-ray. So again, thank you for that, Jen. And how come you got this one in Blu-ray and all the other ones in uh, just DVD? I'm, I'm fine with DVD quality, by the way. The only time I've noticed a real, real difference is with uh, David Attenborough's Planet Earth. The, the Blu-ray of that, which is one of, I think, only two Blu-rays I own, is just incredible. Like, there's there's scenes where it's like he's doing a, well, probably not him specifically, but the cameraman is doing, like, a panoramic shot around a tree, and it's as if you are in the tree. It's, it's pretty crazy. Anyways, back to Harry Potter and the Dudley House number two. Um, Dobby, yeah, this is a bit of a spoiler. Dobby's dead. Oh yeah, that happened towards the end of the last movie, actually. But my notes are screwed up a little bit, okay. Uh, that was sad. I don't think I quite shed a tear, but there was great sadness, because I, uh, I was a fan of Dobby. And something strange of Dobby is, man, he, that, that little guy is super powerful. One of the most like powerful creatures within this Harry Potter universe. So, and once he's free, why couldn't he get himself some duds, eh? Strange. He's still just rocking that tattered rag. What the fuck? The whole sort of... Not the whole, but one of the main premises of this movie is that one of the horcruxes they have to gather is within the bank. Mmm. Which is kind of turning this Harry Potter movie into a little bit of a bank heist movie. Which, uh, I love a good bank heist movie. And this is like a magical bank heist movie. So... For that reason, this has uh, turned into one of my favorite of the films. And that's just kind of like the first half of it, that sort of part of it. A uh, cool thing about that is they get the help of a goblin who worked in the bank, who was played by Warwick Davis, who you may know appeared in a TV Tuesday episode of this podcast not too, too long ago. When I say appeared, I mean I spoke of his podcast, his podcast, his show... Uh, in Idiot Abroad, in which he and Carl Pilkington got their travel on a little bit. He's also probably most famous for, if I had to guess, he was Willow in the movie Willow. So uh, it's good to see him. 
in this, despite the fact that he was a fucking bastard. Double-crossing bastard. Yes, a double-cross, uh, how about I just, because I'm close enough to home that I don't have to 100% spoil it 100% of the time, say he double-crossed, but I won't tell you how. Interesting. Uh, this one features as well a Dumbledore's brother, which kind of doesn't really have a big role. I don't even know why I wrote that down. And then the whole sort of second half of this movie. So uh, the way you could look at it, and no wonder these movies are friggin' all two and a half plus hours long. Uh, first half of the movie, bank robbery. Second half, uh, attack on Hogwarts. So I think they lost a little opportunity here for this second half in that it was good. But I think it could have been better. Uh, and the only reason I say that, I think, is because lately, if you're following along with my Book of Wednesday episodes, you'll know I'll be, I've been reading uh, David Gemmell's The Drenay Saga a lot recently. And when you read his uh, descriptions of uh, sieges and uh, attacks on castles and things such as that, you know how amazing things like that can be. And this has that, but this, kind of strangely, despite the adding of magic, which you think would make it cooler, it's just, uh, it feels a little more watered down and not quite as good and not as many sort of tactics and things like that. But uh, that being said, I did very, very much enjoy it. And as far as fantasy fights, you can't beat Lord of the Rings, so why even try, right? Right. In this one, we do a further back and forth with uh, Snape. Is he bad? Is he good? Is he bad? Is he good? This is the final movie, and it turns out he's he's okay. He, he's, he's not bad after all. He was in love with Harry Potter's mother, and, you know, that drove him when Harry Potter's mother married Harry Potter's father. Drove him not mad. But he didn't much care for it. He wasn't overjoyed with the fact that that happened. And yet the ability to love showed, I suppose, that he wasn't such a bad guy after all. And there was like little snippets of things he did along the way that may have seemed evil but actually weren't. Uh, and I like that. Uh, I, I like that idea of not knowing whether he's good or bad, seemingly incredibly evil things and then having an explanation for them to say, hey, oh wait, it wasn't even at all. Uh, I really, really like that. Some uh, Harry Potter versus Voldemort fights. <laughs> Those are funny because they always feel a little bit like uh, Dragon Ball Z style fights. If you do not know what Dragon Ball Z is, you'll have no idea what I'm talking about. If you do, I love you and you know exactly what I mean. And because I'm so close to home, I don't have time to get into it. So, you know. That's a little something for you DBZ fans. I think one of the most famous things of the end of this movie is that, uh, again, if we boil things down, it is kind of, sort of, kind of, sort of Neville Longbottom who saves the day when you think about it a little bit. And uh, that tickles me. And uh, I like a totally unexpected person, for the most part, kind of, sort of, kind of, sort of, saving the day, and it's not Harry Potter, the hero of all these films, Neville friggin' Longbottom, which you can tell by that name, that he's a little, uh, <coughs> underdoggy, let's call him. There's a little, uh, let's just say Harry Potter, 
defeats Voldemort, sure, with the help of Neville, yes. And uh, they all live, presumably, happily ever after. There's even, and I wonder if this was in the book, uh, a little sort of uh, 19 years later. So 19 years pass, and then we see, uh, presumably, although didn't do much in the way of makeup, which I thought was strange, a 19 years older Harry Potter and Ginny Weasley are married and have a kid, and uh, Hermione and Ron also married and have a kid. So uh, they do live happily ever after. Good, good for them. Uh, yeah, the sort of strange thing of that is they didn't really do anything in the way of makeup. Like, I guess, how old were they when the movies ended? Like, 16 plus 19, um, that's math, so that means I can't do it. But I think you're going to look a fair bit different. Like, maybe gray hair is pushing it, but uh, come on, come on, give me a little bit in the way of aging, please. Okay, so uh, just to recap, these are good movies. Uh, I don't think I will ever really need to watch them again. So to me, that means they're not great movies. So uh, a sort of general three out of five rating for the series as a whole, I think is going to be necessary. Now, that being said, uh, some of these movies I would probably give a four, uh, maybe even verging on a five to, but because this is an eight movie series, I don't think it would be easy to pick and choose which ones you're going to watch, uh, at least for my brain. I think maybe other people can do that, but I can't my brain does not like sort of picking a, a middle movie from an eight-movie series and watching that and watching that alone. I would have to sort of start at the beginning and watch the whole thing, which uh, I don't see any time in my future. Maybe when I'm like a an old man and I have not grandkids because I don't want to have kids, but grandnephews and nieces because my sister has kids. How about them apples? Folks, we did it. We did it. I couldn't have done it without you for the reason that, well, if you're not listening to this, um, it wouldn't be playing in your ears, so it wouldn't be done. Well, ha, God, I really fell apart at the end there. Apologies, I will say, though, that it is nice to be nice to the nice. Thank you for listening. We here in the Liberal Cube would love to hear from you. If for any reason you would like to contact us, you can do so via the email address, mailwood.jordan at gmail.com. And now I have a theory. I've got a theory that it's a demon, a dancing demon. Something isn't right there. I've got a theory. The best is yet to come, and babe, won't it be fine? You think you've seen the sun, but you ain't seen it shine. Wait till the warm-up's underway. Wait till our lips have met. Wait till you see that sunshine day. You ain't seen nothing yet. The best is yet to come and be, won't it be fine? The best is yet to come, come the day you're mine. Live long and prosper.